Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I am, of course, Mr. Stamford Chidge. And uh, as ever, I've got the uh, wonderful and very on very good form tonight, Mr. J.K. Jonathan Kidd. I'm enjoying myself immensely. Thank you very much. In, in such esteemed company. Thank you. I mean, it's occurred to me, J.K., I mean, we've had so much fun. I mean, I know they're, they're longer than a bloody, you know, roll of Andrex, these shows, but... You and I have so much fun on these. I'm, I'm dreading the season starting because then we'll have to talk about what's happening now. We'll become miserable. I know. It's just not the same thing, is it? But there you go. No. It's great fun. No. And a lot of that is down to the uh, fantastic memory and hugely hard work of Mr. Mark Meehan, who we've also got on, of course, tonight. Uh, good evening, everybody. And hopefully by the end of the second half of the show, we'll be able to get out our blue flags and our celery we will, we will, we will. I've got a question to ask about uh, you about that later. Uh, but there we go. He's teasing what's to come. And, of course, we've got the absolutely lovely, wonderful friend of the show, friend of mine, a, a, a beautiful human being. Uh, and he's here to represent uh, Gianluca Viali, Gianfranco Zola and Robbie Di Matteo, Mr. Marco Worrell. Buonasera. Indeed it is. Indeed it always is when we see you. And uh, last but by no means least, uh, the absolutely lovely Mr Martin Wickham, who's here representing the Ute tonight. I'll do my best. You are. <laughs> are you 13 yet in in uh, I had I had turned 13 that December. There you go. He's now a teenager. He's not. He's obviously older it's than all that fair. now. So <laughs> you. Okay. I, I, did, I didn't quite go full Kevin the teenager, thank say, God. Yeah, otherwise, he was otherwise... dream, dreaming of going to Blackpool. <laughs> 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 nah, not quite. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was say if I, if I had acted out like Kevin the teenager, I wouldn't have made fucking 14. So. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Now, uh, we left you all uh, at the end of the year, 1996, uh, where uh, uh, Chelsea drew two all at home with uh, Sheffield Wednesday. And uh, we now are in January, which was to be a momentous five months for this football club, as you all know. But it's nice to relive it, which is kind of what we're doing uh, tonight. And uh, we kick off with a match against Liverpool. This is the New Year's Day match at home. Uh you know, Liverpool weren't the side they were. There's no doubt about that. But they were no, they were, you know, they were still a tough side to beat. And we did beat them. And the thing that uh, uh, I find remarkable about this, that they were actually top at the time. I forgot that. Uh, but the great thing about this is we, we won 1-0. And uh, Robbie Di Matteo scored on, wait for it, 43 minutes. So there was a sign. If we if we needed a sign, there was a sign. But there we go. Ooh, I never thought of that. No, wow. I know. I didn't think of that either until until I looked back. Uh, next match is in fact the FA Cup, where all the journey all starts for us. We get West Brom at home. Uh, fairly routine uh, win for us. Wise on thirty nine minutes. Burley on seventy four. Franco Zola again just to make sure on seventy nine minutes. Uh, and then we go up to Forest, who you know who get, end up getting relegated this season. Uh, and as you all know. What happens when Chelsea play a team that's about to get relegated this season? But before that, Mark? Yeah, just one thing to comment about the West Brom game. Um, and we mentioned last week's show that you moved into Euro 96 and on the back of Euro 96, Bedeal and Skinner just explode as like megastars on the back of three lines. Well, Frank Skinner was sitting in the West Stand um, for the cup game. And literally every song at a football ground that season seemed to have a three line sort of like theme back to it so when Zola gets the third goal um at 90 minutes Skinner gets out of his seat at the West End and the West End was quite 
hospitable to away fans then. They occasionally used to sit in there, you know, providing they supported a small team like West Brom. And as Skinner's walking up the steps of the West Stand to exit, a Chelsea fan starts singing and then everyone joins in. He's going home. He's going home. He's going. Skinner's going home. And like the whole West, to be fair, Frank Skinner took it extremely well. He probably heard that song so many times since the summer of 96. Well, there you go. He should have stayed to the end, then, really, shouldn't he? And he wouldn't have happened. But uh, that's Definitely a leap before the end. Yeah. yeah, that's a brilliant story. So, yeah, as I was kind of teasing before that lovely little uh, um, anecdote from Mark, we go and play Forest uh, relegation contenders, and of course we lose two 0 courtesy of a, a. I think it was a free kick from Pierce. He was rather good at free kicks, wasn't he, J.K.? I was there, and um, uh, and he went up to take the free kick, and I said. He's only going to blast. I shouted this out actually. He's only going to bloody blow the doors off. He's going. Yeah, he's only going to bla- blast it. Proper wall. Proper wall. He's saying it's always going to. Hey. Oh fuck! It's gone. <laughs> so, so not quite. Brian Moore is going to flick one. He's going to flick one, but <laughs> in, in the spirit of. <laughs> it was a terrible wall, actually. It's Obvious. true. Obvious. It was terrible. Yeah. We could see it was terrible. You thought they're all scared of Pierce taking the fucking free kick. What are they doing? Oh yeah. God. Not clever, not funny, uh, and then we play Derby uh, at uh, at uh, at home, and we win three one. Uh, Asanovic for them, Wise on thirty six. Now the interesting thing about uh, this goal from Wise was that he runs to the bench, uh, obviously celebrating his goal, but he lifts his shirt up to reveal a t shirt, and it didn't say in the season review, but I'm absolutely sure that was when he said, "We love you, Luca." Because Luca Viali was on the bench. If you go back to part one, we started talking about the fact that when Franco Zola turned up, he and Hughes had a great partnership. And we start seeing uh, Viali left on the bench, which when you consider how brilliant he was at the start of the season, it's like, what's going on? Um, so, you know, I think that it was... Uh, the J- JK said this right at the start of the show, the spirit in the side was brilliant. And I thought it was really epitomised in that moment, even if it might have been a bit cheeky to rude, if you think about it. But there you go. So um, there'll be more on that later. And then we have the FA Cup, the next round of the FA Cup on the 26th of June. Paul Hughes scores in that game. Can you just mention Oh, I I should have. I I probably said Mark Hughes, didn't I? Uh, I I know I said Paul Hughes in the notes, but maybe I I didn't mention it at all. Really, really promising prospect. Looked absolutely excellent. And it was a, it was a one-two between him and Mark Hughes, of course. Yeah, and he just slotted it into the corner. We were so pleased for him because he played so well. We're so pleased that he scored a goal, and uh, his his then lack of involvement was mystifying. Yeah, did he get injured, Mark? Do you remember? Did he get injured? I can't remember if he got injured, but I was going to say, um, do, do people know where Paul Hughes is now? No, isn't he? He's a coach at um, Cliff Cliff's Mob, isn't he? Well, on Marco, yep, he's on Cliff's Manor, Hayes and Yedding. There we go. I remember, I remember Cliff mentioning it. It's the only reason I remember. Lovely. Um, brilliant. Uh, so, as I was saying, you know, this is the... I mean, this is a date that will go down in legend for Chelsea supporters. Uh, the 26th of January, 1997, FA Cup round four. And we've drawn against uh, Liverpool, who, of course, you know, historically we've had so many FA Cup matches against down the years, some of them famously winning when they were European champions, two spring to mind that I can think of immediately, that are quite often heralded as 
many Chelsea supporters' favourite matches. This is no exception. This goes down for the next generation, I think, as one of their favourite matches of all time. And then there's a very good reason for that. I sadly wasn't there, but I was watching it on, on, on the telly. I'm sure all of these boys were there. We'll talk to them about it in a minute. But uh, basically, it's not going very well. Uh, Fowler scores after 10 minutes. Collymore scores after 21 minutes. And frankly, I mean, Liverpool could have been four or five up at half time. There's no, no denying that. Half time comes along and Rudy changes it. He brings on Mark Hughes for Scott Minto. And the rest, as they say, is history. Who would like to have first dibs on this one? I'm happy to have a There you go, now. JK. Um, yes, I actually think that Liverpool was so convinced they were going to win four or five nil because we were just giving chance away, a chance away. We're defensively so awful. They took their they took their their uh, their feet off the accelerator, and um, they took their foot off the accelerator, I should say. And uh, you could tell there was something slightly. Um, um, they were joking around when they were missing stuff, and just, because they got chance after chance after chance, and we were in a desperate state at 2-0 thinking how can we possibly come back from this and of course uh, demanding really that Hughes come on because they needed somebody just to have some kind of spark up front indeed so why not get sparky and um, um, the first goal he scores is an absolutely great typical Hughes goal so the ball is is fired through through to him from Clark you know just a kind of speculative finding somebody in the penalty area uh, chests it down turns Bap into the goal once again. I will say some of our strike current strikers could be inspired by this kind of thing. You just control it. There's the goal. It's in. You know, brilliant. And then Hughes again is tackled back to Zola, which is just absolutely decisive. Straight, I think it's on Barnes. Straight back to Zola, who curls in to make it two-two. And from then on, there's only one winner. Um, because we are that we've got completely the uh, the momentum is with us the uh, the uh, the bit between our teeth and we just play better and better and better and the crowd took off and absolutely got so behind the team but rightly so because we were playing out of our skins and they could not deal with it so we scored four goals in the second half without reply and uh, um, the fourth goal is another fantastic in fact the third goal is a um, uh, it, is it? It's a Viali, isn't it? Zola Petrescu to Viali, and then the uh, the fourth one is a um, a Viali header from a Zola curling in free kick. I mean, just absolutely brilliant atmosphere, brilliant occasion, brilliant comeback, um, and all down ultimately to one substitution. But Hughes played completely out of his skin when he came on. Brilliant. The old warhorse, Mark. Uh, I would say game of your lifetime. Game of my lifetime, game of everyone else's lifetime at the time. It was just, I'd never seen, we talked about Bruges the other week, which I thought was amazing, but I'd never seen such scenes in that second half. JK is right. The, the noise of that crowd, remember, it was only three sides full because of like the shed redevelopment. And actually noise of the Chelsea fans in that second half. You know, people, if you've not seen it, go on YouTube, watch it. You know, they made the video available sort of afterwards. You know, if you had a video, it had worn out. The DVD came out a few days later. If you had the DVD, that'd be worn out. You'd probably wear out YouTube. Watch. It was just, uh, you know, when I did my Chelsea, it's in my top 10 games of all time. Mm. It was so incredible. And heaven forbid, but back then, they were in their full Spice Boys phase, Liverpool. You know, 
So they, they were they were as annoying then as that they are now. So then two 0 up, and it could have been a lot more than two 0 You know, no, annoying scousers at halftime. And you, you did think at two 0 and I was in the West Stand, up up on the West Stand. You know, how are we going to come back from this? I didn't think we we're going to come back from this, and I'm an optimist. But Hughes coming on just made all the difference, and those three goals in 30 minutes was incredible. And as J.K. said, once you got a three-two. You couldn't stop. Yeah, if that was Jose, Jose would have shut up shop. You know, but it was just relentless. Like we got four, we could even have got five towards the end. It was just an incredible atmosphere. 45 minutes of absolutely sort of total football. And I think when you came out of the ground after that, there was like an invincibility, you know, Chelsea fans, you know, and if you didn't think we were going to win the cup beforehand, and we always, you know, think we got a great chance to win the cup back then you were just absolutely nailed on that we were going to go to Wembley and win the cup after that game there was no stopping us and you almost like floated down to Fulham Broadway station afterwards anyone that's at that game will have their own special memories you know, of that second half we were tremendous and we were still and Liverpool was still top of the league at the time I mean I know this is the cup but that needs to be said and Mark there was another song wasn't there another oh, song sorry. Oh, there's, there's loads. There's loads to talk about. I think there's um, the Viali one. I'm thinking of. Oh, the Viali song. Oh yeah. Um, was oh Deo. Oh Deo. Oh Deo Di Matteo. Oh yeah. Deo Di Matteo. Viali scores and the Scousers go home. Not one. Not two. Not three. Not four. Viali scores and, and the, the Scousers go home. home. Brilliant. Love it. I told you this is a season for some brilliant, brilliant, brilliant songs, but. Uh, what a fantastic game! Is it? I mean, I'll ask Martin and uh, and uh, Marco as well. Marco, is this is this one of your top ten games, top ten Chelsea um, games? It was interesting what what Mark just mentioned there because we we actually decided to go and sit in the in the West Stand for the season um, that that year. And I think it, I think it was was that the last season, Mister Meehan, of the West Stand as it was. Yep. So these were on the old clunky. Uh, flip, flip back wooden seats, yep. and you could like. I just remember that game. Just like everybody was just banging their seat up and down, and the racket was in- incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, yeah. I, I wish I'd managed the, end of the season, Martin. <laughs> yeah, save, save, save a few pennies, <laughs> Martin. I mean, what I mean, you know, you were only a kid at the time, but I mean, do you yeah. have any memories of it? Uh, no, anything I have, I've seen it numerous times since, obviously. And the main thing I do, they were Liverpool thought they had it won, switched off, and just couldn't switch back on by all accounts. And at the end, there's a picture of a very shell-shocked-looking Mark Wright. Yes, yes. <laughs> he was always very good-looking shell-shocked. Well, yeah, it was like Phil Jones times 10. It was like he'd seen something traumatic happen to him, <laughs> which, in a sense, it had. And, yeah, well, <laughs> can't really add any more to that. Couldn't, happen, game. To a, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Uh, right, so um, we, we're now in, into the next round, of course. But uh, before that, we're going to February. And who do you want to play next after having had a brilliant performance like that of course Tottenham Hotspur uh, never ever fail to let us down uh, and we go up there and of course we do them uh, 2-1 uh, hilariously we go 1-0 up after a minute thanks to a Sol Campbell own goal uh, and then Robbie Di Matteo with an absolute worldie makes it 2-0 and then David Howells 
uh, makes it to one on 83 minutes. Interestingly, uh, Marco may remember this, but uh, of course in goal for Tottenham that day was Ian Walker. And I think in midweek, uh, England played Italy uh, in the in the World Cup uh, qualification. Of course, Hoddle's the manager, isn't he? And uh, who plays for Italy? Gianfranco Zola. Who scores for Italy? Gianfranco Zola. <laughs> who lets the ball in through his hands? Ian Walker of Tottenham Hotspurs, Marco. <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember the game. I don't remember the timing of it. I don't remember it being um, just before that Spurs game. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, no, I remember. Now, now you mention all of that. I, I do remember it all vividly mm. and, and how entertaining it was. Excellent. Excellent. Mark? Yeah, we were actually talking about that very game during the Euros down at Wheelstown when Italy-England final was on. And a load of my Chelsea mates went to that game. Obviously, go and watch England. Well, they got carried away when Zola scored against Tottenham goalkeeper and they cheered (laughs) Zola's goal. (laughs) The the other thing I had about the Tottenham game, another story that came out of the Tottenham game, I don't know if you remember at at the time, Viali refused to sit on the bench with Hullet. So there was there was clearly some kind of bust up or tension there. And there was a photograph taken of Viali in the tunnel for the whole of the 90 minutes, doing exactly what you're doing now, having a cheeky little fag. <laughs> yeah, me and me and you know, me and Viali. It's not the only thing we've got in common, obviously. Uh, actually, it probably is. Uh, although I, I, I'm actually vaping, I'm not smoking. If you want to get uh, pedantic about it, but uh, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the uh, the next round of the FA Cup against Leicester and do them both together because it goes through a, pl- a replay because the next league match is against uh, Man United on the 22nd of February. Um, another really good performance by us. Um, you know, we had a thing about playing United at the time. Uh, and uh, basically, um, Zola puts us up after two minutes. Beckham, with a great volley, equalises on 68. But a bit like the West Ham game, this, for me, will always be remembered for uh, Franco Zola putting half the United defence on their arse before coolly slotting it past Schmeichel. Now, I can't understand... Well, I can with this one. I mean, I made a programme in 2006 called The Greatest Goals Against Man United for Sky One. And, uh, you know, each decent side were allowed to have three goals against United. And uh, one of them that I selected was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's absolute rocket uh, in Ranieri's first season. I think it was Ranieri's first season. Um, but this made this made the cut for another great goal against Man United. Weirdly, and I think really largely due to the fact we didn't have many footage of Peter Osgood scoring against them and, and that people are that vintage. Um, but the third one was Thiago's goal in the 3-0 up there when we won the, won the title. But Lord knows why. I, I didn't vote for that one. But this one certainly did make it. And it was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it, JK? Yeah, I just felt it was like a kind of playground goal. You know, it's yeah. the kind of where you just you get the ball and it's almost as if somebody said come on give me the ball no we're not playing anymore no stop 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 mucking about and he just goes around player after well, he player. just he put he put then, Irwin on his ass yeah just with one turn the, what he does he then kicks it past Schmeichel as if you know as if it's just you know what's Schmeichel doing Schmeichel doesn't have an opportunity to come out and save it he just taps it into the corner it's yeah it's a great goal I think Ferguson at the end was really pissed off by uh, by how the defence, his defence was made to look so feeble in that uh, he commented on it. I didn't think he was so good, I think Ferguson said about him. We yeah. underestimated him. Yeah. I remember he said yeah. that at the end of the 
again. It was, yeah, it was completely, once again, I went, oh, 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 as one does, you know, in those games. Brilliant. Yeah, it was fantastic. So there we go. 1-1 one, one against United. Now, as I said, before that, we had Leicester in the next round of the FA Cup, the fifth round. Uh, and it's a, it's a, well... You know, it, it's a it's a draw that uh, really arguably never should have been. I mean, Di Matteo puts us up on significant sixteen minutes, uh, and then uh, then. Oh God! I know, I know. It's it's there's something going on here. Mark Hughes scores on thirty five, and then for, we let him back in the game, which was stupid. Walsh scores a header on fifty two minutes, and then in the eighty eighth minute, eighty eighth bloody minute, uh, you know. I think it was from a corner and Eddie Newton tries to kick it away and he puts it straight in uh, past, um, I would imagine it was Grodus, wasn't it? No, it was, it was yes, it was. No, it was, it was Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Very, very, very frustrating that we uh, we then, you know, had to get taken back to replay. But we took taken back home and an interminable game, which then goes to extra time. It's because Keller is so wonderful. Keller, Keller. yeah. Ab- the outstanding match, Casey Keller. One of, one of the first Yanks to play over here, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, uh, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. And it makes you think, why didn't Chelsea buy him? Well, indeed. But, um, you know, an interminable game. Uh, it goes to extra time. Time is ticking down. And then dear old Erlen Jonsson uh, takes, shall we call, a slightly dubious tumble when he, he barges into uh, Stephen Pryor in the box on 117 <laughs> minutes. And... Uh, Lo and behold, the referee, uh, who was um, who was Mr. Mike Reed, the well-known runaround uh, guy, East Enders actor, and also a comedian, got the biggest laugh of the night by awarding us a penalty. Which, of course, Frank LeBeouf, who's uh, you know, because we you know how we've struggled with penalties apart from Graham Roberts for the last twenty odd years, or probably more. Well, uh, but their old Frank's kind of taken on the mantle of penalty taker, and he very rarely misses, and he slots this one away beautifully but uh mark it it kicked up i mean leicester were furious weren't they oh they they were They're like grayson and Pryor then demonstrate with erlen johnson and, and dennis sort of steps in but to be honest like you know it's a bit double standards as well and they all say these things even out and, and you mentioned the first game the first game it, it wasn't a corner it was a free kick given against steve clark that was never a free kick you know so again if, if the free if that free kick never again given against Steve Clark, there would have been no replay. You know, Chelsea would have beaten Leicester 2-1 at Philbrook Street, you know. Uh, and again, sort of like, can, can you imagine it? We talked about Steve Claridge er, earlier, you know, that the reverse side of things, like, like Steve Claridge three minutes ago falls over and wins a penalty to get Leicester to a cup final. Can you imagine all those Leicester players said, oh, no, that was never a penalty. Mr. Claridge, get up, you cheating fellow. You're besmirching the good name of Leicester City. Because as we know, they won the cup final this year because it was nice old Leicester. You know, well, I went actually to the first game at Philbrook Street. There was nothing nice about Leicester's fans. You know, as soon as it came out after the game, they wanted to fight with everybody. Is that, is that, that was the, the baby squad, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, baby squad. Every time you went to Leicester at Philbrook Street, there was always trouble. Yeah. Yeah, they they lied in wait for you. They lied, laid in wait for you if you ever went like, out. Like foxes. Back, back to the, the theatre. Yeah, they, they would. The, the theatre. What am I talking about? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> going off to the theatre, darling. Off to the go back to the station. They went back to the station, and you're walking a lot. They would all they'd lie and wait for you, and, and they'd say, out. "Oh, look, there's a Chelsea actor. Let's oh, knife him." Actor. No, <laughs> didn't, didn't did did Danny Baker did did he just, get sacked by the BBC? I was just about um, to say he, this. He went loopy he, on the radio and started advocating. He called Chelsea maggots or some. 
yeah, he, he was. I think he was at advocating, you know, threatening the ref and all all sorts of things. He completely lost the plot. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Well, but then he called Chelsea cheating bastards, I think, as well, didn't he, or something? Wasn't that what he did? It was. It was really. Uh... Out of order. He hates the Delft, the Deptford dickhead hates hates Chelsea, Chelsea, doesn't he? To be fair, from where I was, it just looked as if Johnson just threw himself at Pryor, you know, but, um, you know. It was dodgy, I think, but who cares? Uh, I mean, I think when you get things like that going for you, um, you start smelling, smelling an FA Cup final. I certainly did. Oh, by the way, Marco, just move your mic down a bit. The little arm. There we go, because you're a bit loud. Um, Mark? Marco is spot on. I've just Googled it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had a rant after the award of the penalty. <laughs> he encouraged football fans to make the referee's life hell. Wow. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going mad. Well, that's yeah. what, that, that's what happened, because Mike Reed then went into comedy and ran around and uh, EastEnders. He gave up being a referee because of that. I'm joking, and he was so angry about losing his job at the BBC, he referred to them as pin-headed weasels. <laughs> And then he went back and got sacked again. Yes. I mean, the, the guy's a twat, isn't he? Let's face it. Yeah, he said something funny in 1987, and he's, got, he's yeah. vastly overrated ever since. That's about he's it. It's an absolute bell end. Right, so back to the league, back to March. Uh, we got Derby away, um, and uh, I think we lose uh, 3-2, most annoyingly. Um, what a weird old match this was. Uh, Scott Minto puts us ahead after 16 minutes, and then he, he equalises for Derby by scoring an own goal on 51 and then Frank LeBeouf scores on 54 minutes. And then Frank LeBeouf is sent off for a brilliant save on the goal line with his hand. Sadly, it's against the law, so he got a red card. Although I have to say, I think it was David Ellery. No, it was Wilkie. I do I do apologise to David Ellery. Oh, Actually, David do you know Ellery. what? No, I don't apologise to David Ellery. I wouldn't apologise for him for anything. But anyway, Wilkie couldn't wait to send Frank off, which he does. Uh, and then, of course, Asanovic gets the penalty. And then... Guess what? Another 90th minute winner to Down the Blues by Ashley Ward on 90. But the most significant thing about this, chaps, was the fact that Rude Hullet uh, broke his ankle uh, on on 62 minutes. And uh, that was his season over. So he wouldn't play in the FA Cup final should we reach it, Mark. And there was no coffee table anywhere near him at the time. No, he who must not be named cannot be blamed for this one. That's a- I think the other thing about the Derby game is the state of the baseball ground pitch. Actually, I, yeah, just, I need to make a correction here. Hullet came on for Viali on 62 minutes and then broke his ankle on 79. Sorry, correction. Yeah. Yeah. But I, know, I know it was bad in the 70s, the baseball ground, but there's the shocking state of the pitch. Yeah. But they were, moving, they, they were moving to Pride Park at the end of the season. So I, I wonder whether the Derby board at the time just couldn't be asked spending any money on the pitch because there's only a few more games left in the season. But it was the pitch was in shocking condition. And I know we talked about him a few shows back. Like Ashley Ward scores the winning goal for Derby. For Ashley Bloody Ward. You know, God almighty, tonight. Yeah, I thought that when I was looking back at this, actually, because I probably got into my fantasy football teams quite a lot in those days. Right, next game's at home. We've got Blackburn Rovers. It's a one-all draw. Notable, really, for another great Scott Minto goal. Uh, it was a great shot, but even better set up by Zola, who just like beat a few players, held the ball up for him really, really well. Um, Scotty Minto. You know, I, I always, I mean, I forgot what a bloody good player he was for us. Really, it just, it just seemed seemed too short-lived. Really, and you know, maybe 
a little bit unjust that that he went as quickly as he did. But he was—I forgot how good he was this season, chaps. J.K., do you remember? Scott yeah, I thought, was, I, I, I thought he was the best fullback we had. I didn't quite understand why um, he didn't get into the side, um, uh, and other people seem to be playing in his stead. Um, and similarly, I didn't understand why Phelan wasn't getting in. We seem to have several decent fullbacks, but then Myers would play, and you'd think he's not really as good as Minto. Um, uh, Minto, but also Minto, I kept wondering whether Minto was playing midfield. He just seemed to get so often into the penalty area, a bit like Leberth, and, and frequently having uh, shots on goal. No, a very, very, uh, very competent player indeed. And, and I didn't, uh, and I didn't understand why. Um, I, I, when did we sell him? The following season. I can't remember. No, he, 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 go, he goes at the end of the season, I think. He goes to Benfica. So I think he chose to go and I think he got, got a pay rise. But he didn't do too badly this season. He, he, he was the main choice left back. If you look at the number of games he played compared to others, he played over 30 games that's this season. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mm. Just occasionally he wasn't in. I didn't understand watching why he hadn't been selected the following week. I just didn't understand occasionally some of the... The selection choices that, that Myers seemed to play a lot more away from home than he did at home, so I don't know whether it was tactical by Hullet. Well, right. uh, talking of left backs, uh, one of the strangest uh, signings, albeit I think a loan signing, in Chelsea's very long and illustrious history was made on the 6th of March 1997 when Paul Parker, who you know, if everybody remembers 1990. Uh, not only was the uh, goal that, that Germany scored in the semi-final deflected off his foot, uh, but he actually was a decent player then, you know, and I think it's a bad rap that he gets remembered for that. But he was transferred to Chelsea from Fulham. Um, we'll return to this uh, in a few matches' time, but just park it there. Because uh, the next match is uh, is Portsmouth away in the quarter-final of the FA Cup. Um. It was very, very foggy, wasn't it, Mark? It was. It was. It was an early kickoff as well. I think it was on TV. Went, went down. To, went down to Portsmouth, and it was a real, a real pea super. I think the other thing I remember is that Terry Fenwick was the coach for Portsmouth then, and I think Terry Venables was their director of football, and whether they'd instructed their players, but Portsmouth really just did nothing but try to kick our players off the park for the whole of the ninety minutes. So it was a really emphatic Chelsea performance in in the fog, you know, a really sort of good first goal from Hughes, Wise Zola, you know, uh, and then they get one back. But then Wise gets a lovely goal at the end in front of the Chelsea section, and you could see it was ground redevelopment time because both the terraces at each end of the ground, the Portsmouth end and the Chelsea end, were open. You know, fortunately, you know, it might have been foggy, but we didn't get any bad weather. I think the other thing, and Marco sang it earlier as well, um, is um, the birth shaved his head for this game, you know. So it was he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where Frank the birth. So it then became he's here, he's there, he's got no fucking hair uh, for this. And then it was afterwards. It said in the program, you know, please don't use foul language because I think his kids came to football. So it then became we're not allowed to swear. Um, the other thing about this game is Peter Osgood was sitting in front of me um, in in the in the in the way way section. So he was he was slumming it, you know, with his people, the king of Stamford Bridge, and just. As we know, what a remarkable person Peter Osgood was. During that halftime interval, he must have signed about 100 programmes. Everyone was getting their programme. You know, now they'd probably have selfies with Osgood. And he was just you know, a great ambassador for the club. And you know, basically, he was sitting in front of me. You know, and he said, after this, we're going to Wembley and we're going to win the FA Cup. And the King of Stamford Bridge was right. 
No, I was just going to say, I, th I think Ozzy at the time was working, doing, he was doing something at Meon Valley Golf and Sports Complex. And I think it was just not too far away for him that day. And it was a weekend. And that's why he was there. Vaguely oh. remember. No, Mark, I, th I think you're right, because it was around about that time, I I've said it on a previous show before, o Ozzy asked me to do him a favour, and if you've seen that iconic black and white picture of Ozzy, Hudson and George Best for his testimony yeah, yeah. black and white, um, he asked me, could I, could I get some photos done? And I knew, I knew a guy that worked in sort of like photo print, uh, and I said, like, how many do you want done? And I think he said, oh, I think I want... Um, 20 or 30 photographs and don't worry Mark I'll see you for the money which to be fair he did um and I sort of said to him you don't mind me asking like you know what, what do you plan to do with them and he just basically said I'm going to get myself Huddy and Bestie sign it before we pop our clogs you know and I'll knock them out for a few quid and, and, and lo and behold I think he did yeah the only silly thing I did I said I'll get him to sign one and Huddy sign one and Beth sign one, oh, one for myself. that would have been brilliant um that would have been a real souvenir yeah. And I just say that the 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 effect of having no stat no no covering on the, the on the seats behind either goal is that um, you don't realise to what extent the the stand is an amplifier for the for the chance. And I remember nothing could be heard anywhere in the ground. We couldn't hear the Portsmouth fans, and they couldn't hear us. Didn't matter how much noise we made because uh, it went nowhere. It just went straight up. Yeah. I remember being very, very aware of how quiet it all sounded. Um, bizarrely, because of that, not having the uh, the the the, uh, the the covering on this, uh, this having the stands there. Yeah, the fog wouldn't have helped with that either, of course, because that yeah, would true, that, true. yeah that would deaden the sound. Um, so there we go. So we 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 win four one quite easily, as as Mark was saying, and uh, that means we're into the semi final of the FA Cup. So that'll be our hang on one two th fourth semi final in the last four seasons, if my memory is correct. Is my maths right there, Mark? Yeah, 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 it is, yeah. isn't it? So, 95, yeah. Now, that would mean also that my dad was very pissed off uh, at this point, and with me, because he's a massive Portsmouth fan. My first ever game was down at Fratton Park. Uh, it nearly put me off football for life. Even they were though, awful, though, Chich. They were awful. Well, they were awful when I went to see them when I was seven. You know, yeah. they, they, they've always been awful. But uh, the other thing, of course, is the Frank LeBeuf song. You know, he's here, he's there, we're not allowed to swear Frank LeBeuf. Many, many, many years later... My old mate, uh, Michael Roban, who, who used to come on this show in very, very early days, who's from L.A., he ended up having uh, lunch with Frank LeBeuf in L.A. because Frank went on and was very much involved with the Hollywood, Hollywood United, which was basically a, a team made up of uh, itinerant English actors and a few kind of ex-footballers. Uh, so anyway, cutting a long story short, Michael phoned me up and said, Chid, chid, chid. I'm going to meet Frank LaBeouf, man. I'm going to meet Frank LaBeouf. And I'm going to meet him for lunch. I said, Michael, when he walks in and you're sitting in the restaurant, if you don't get up and, and chant, he's here, he's there, we're not allowed to swear Frank LaBeouf, I'm never talking to you ever again. And bless me, Michael did. And Frank absolutely laughed his head off because I don't think he really knew that Michael was a big Chelsea fan. So there you go. It's always a story. Uh, right, back to the league. Um... And uh, we got West Ham away. Uh, stupidly, we lose 3-2. Viali puts us ahead three uh, on 26. Dix, Dix gets a penalty on 55. And then Kitson gets a brace in between a Mark Hughes goal. Again, another 90th minute That's goal, been, JK. Yes, and I had to run away because I was being chased by Hammers fans. No, really? What a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. 
Uh, anybody would have thought they'd been in Green... Was it Green Street? Uh, maybe they were auditioning. Um, the other notable thing about this, <laughs> this is quite quite sad in a way. You know, we were saying earlier on that Chelsea had loads of goalkeepers playing this season. I think we had five playing. And in this particular match, uh, a very young lad called Nick Colgan makes his debut for Chelsea. And uh, I love the fact, if you've ever gone on Bound to Friedale, it always notes debuts. It also notes final appearances. And on this particular one, it says, debut players, Nick Colgan. Final appearance, Nick Colgan. <laughs> what a dubious honour to have, the poor bloke. But there we go. Um, anyway, uh, you know, normal service is is, is uh, resumed after this. The next match at home, which is against Sunderland, uh, which is just absolutely joyous. This was an insane football match um it we basically we, we walloped them peter reed sundon 6-2 um zola an absolutely astonishing volley on 38 then sinclair on 43 another good goal petrescu 51 and then it all goes a bit tits up because stewart scores for them on 58 and then alex ray on 63 minutes and i'm wondering if um the reason for this was the fact that the aforementioned paul parker ex of fulham made his debut that day and judging by the footage that I saw he was something like a not an innocent bystander a guilty bystander for both of those goals uh, so there you go but thankfully Hughes manages to get a brace on 78 and 89 minutes and then thankfully we get a, a 90th minute winner with Di Matteo um, so Mark I mean do you remember Paul's, Paul's debut with fondness or horror? Uh, neither I, I, I I, I remember Paul Parker being there because I think he only like like Paul Nick Colgan. I think he only made one appearance. I think he might have done a couple of subs appearances as well. Now, what I remember about this game is a couple of couple of things. Um, I was actually sitting in the East Middle for, for this one, and a couple of things. A guy I know called Steve Thorne um, was sitting beside me, and you know have those moments at a football match when the ball comes into the crowd and you get a chance to sort of like head or kick it back, and like you're in the middle here of the East End. I think Dan Protesco kicked it out. And Steve gets up from his seat and like nods nods it back into play. You know, it could have gone anywhere, but goes back into play. So once in a lifetime moment. And the other thing was Gianfranco Zola had a tremendous game in, in this game. Uh, and there's there's an iconic Zola celebration that when he gets the volley and he wheels away, that picture has been used many times of Zola since. And Zola gets voted man of the match for this game. And the player who was runner-up in Man of the Match, so this is Sky viewers apparently voting, I think um, Zola got something like 82%, um, was the Sunderland goalkeeper. You know, Lionel Perez was the runner-up. No, sorry, Mark Hughes got Man of the Match, not, not Zola. Uh, and Lionel Perez was the runner-up. So although we put six past Sunderland that day, Perez was their best player. It could have been a lot more than six. Chelsea, Chelsea were that good that day. The other thing that happened as well, and obviously he's out for the season, uh, the delightful tale, Dimitri Karin turns up at the club car park. And obviously you have the um, job worth steward at the door. Um, and Karin says, I am goalkeeper. And stewards won't let him in. And he basically says, yes, mate. That's what they all say. <laughs> it must have been the same bloke who threw me out when I was Stamford the Lion. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that, mate. Yeah, Marco. You're not standing the line either. <laughs> Marco. There was, a, there was a lad who used to come to Chelsea with us back then whose nickname was Geordie Jace because his name was Jace and he was a Geordie. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if you remember, Pete, Peter Reid was the manager of um, 
of of uh, Sunderland at, at the time, and the, and there was a, a this absolutely fabulous song that we were treated to, which was, in the land where I was born, lives a man with a monkey's head. And he went to Sunderland and his name is Peter Reed. Peter Reed's got a fucking monkey's head, a fucking monkey's head, a fucking monkey's head. head. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I remember that. Do you know what? I remember that very, very well. And I... there's a there's another chant I've heard from Sunderland around that time that is unrepeatable on here about Lee Howie, and I will save it for after the show. Okay, uh, <laughs> it, it, but... yeah, so it, it was to do with the direct line advert. I'll just leave it there. Okay, well, didn't, didn't Sunderland have a um, sort of cheer up Peter Reed song as well? And they they also had a song called Niall Quinn's Disco Pants, if I remember. Niall right. Quinn's Disco Pants are the best. They go yeah. they go up from his knees to his chest. Yeah. Neil Quinn, disco pants are the best. Chest, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk, go on, JK. I just want to ask a question about Parker. I, I don't know why they bought him, and he was absolute shit. So what? <laughs> what? What was that all about? I don't. I, I. I do honestly think it's one of the weirdest. Uh, I mean, he was a lone lone signing. I don't know if he bought yeah, him, but, but it was just mental. I cannot to this day understand it. When you said he was just standing about, I, I remember saying. He's just standing about. I remember oh. thinking, "What? Why? What? Why has he come on? What? What? What, what is this? Did it? Was it for next year? What? Was it a favour that? Who was he? Who was he covering? I mean, there were, nobody. What? Yeah, no. What? Uh, mystery complete mystery you know what i i worked with him in in 2006 during the world cup and actually he's 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 the most miserable person in the entire world every ex-footballer that you ever meet will tell you paul parker is the most miserable person in the world and he just is i i think he's not genuinely miserable but he's just got one of those really miserable voices and outlooks on life and i asked him about this i said paul i've got to ask you this i remember and i can't understand it to this day what why did you end up playing for chelsea and he got really frosty about it because he hates Chelsea. He hates them. Yeah. Perhaps he was treated badly. Perhaps he never wanted to have the transfer. Perhaps it was a bet. Perhaps Bates had a bet with someone and he ended up having to take him on. Maybe right. maybe he's Chelsea's Ali Dier. Was yeah. he the bloke from Southampton? Yeah, which is around yeah. this time, funnily enough, Mark. Yeah. 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 yeah, it could have been part of the Bates-Alfired conversation. I forgot to mention earlier... Um, when we were chatting about Matthew Harding and obviously Bates needed to find the money to redevelop the site. He actually approached um, El Fayed uh, and they were, they were having a conversation about El Fayed underwriting a £30 million rights issue. And for some reason, El Fayed pulls out of the deal at the last minute. So he doesn't put any money into redevelop Stamford Bridge and goes and buys Fulham instead. So, but, maybe, you, but you have to take Paul Parker. But maybe you have to take Paul Parker as well. <laughs> <laughs> have to play him into some form for us. And then we'll have him back. All very weird. Now, final point on Peter Reid, who, by the way, again, somebody I, I got to work with in 2006 during the World Cup. And I have to say, of all the ex-players I've had the pleasure to meet, Peter Reid is probably the absolute nicest, bestest bloke I've ever met in football. I mean, he is just delightful. He he led a merry band of us after the series ended because he was on the World Cup final show with us. And and also we had this glamour model called Becky Rule, who's delightful. She was like the Sun's most photographed model. And uh, he clearly fancied Becky. And I took advantage of this because after the final show, which was on a Sunday, I wanted to take the entire crew out and get absolutely hammered somewhere. And by this time, it's about 11 
And would you believe it? There was nowhere really open in London for us to go and do that. And I knew I knew we'd put Reedy up in a hotel uh, down the road. So I kind of sidled over to him and said, Reedy, Reedy, you know, do you fancy a drink after the show? He said, yeah, 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 mate. Yeah, yeah. Love a drink, love a drink. And, uh, I, and, and I said, well, the trouble is, Reedy, we can't find anywhere where we can get in. Um, can we go back to your hotel and go in that bar? And I could see his mind ticking over and he's thinking, that means Becky will come back to the hotel with me. And he just said, yeah, yeah, man. So basically, Reedy kind of walks into the hotel, walks into the bar, residents only, followed by 15 hairy-ass TV crew and who, who gets stopped immediately. And he says, no, 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 they're with me, they're with me. Now, I wanted to buy a bottle of champagne to celebrate a really, really great series. Reedy would not let me pay for a thing. He, we must have got through about 10 bottles of champagne that night. And we didn't leave till five in the morning. He, pay, he picked up the entire tab and he was hilarious. And, and also, he was not rude to me when I asked him about the monkey's head chant and what he thought of it. <laughs> I mean, he's an absolutely brilliant bloke. Anyway, we digress massively. Um, who are we? Where are we? Yes, yeah, Sunderland, 6-2, we win. We then play uh, Saints uh, at home, next match, 1-0. Uh, another Zola worldie, and we go up to fifth. Um, who was there at this one? Who remembers the, the Zola goal? Anybody want to opine on that? Yeah, it's a midweek game, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely cra- cracking goal, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant goal by Zola, but he got so many good goals that season. You could almost do a, yeah, a video of Jan Frank goals that season. Yeah, he did. Uh, ne- uh, basically, uh, just shortly after that, Danny Granville uh, signs from Cambridge United, uh, and then we go up to Borough. Now, this has significance for any of you who know what happens later on in the season. We go up to Borough, and uh, we lose one nil. It was a brilliant Jorginho goal, although I do think the commentator was clearly biased, uh, saying it would be the goal Freud of the season. Slip, it was Janino. Uh, what did I say? Jorginho. Jorginho. That is a that is a Freudian slip. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Jorginho would ever find him find his way up that close to the box and get on the end of a header like that. Only but if there's only if it's a penalty. Indeed. So uh, yeah, it was great Jorginho uh, goal um, and a bit of a surprise defeat, but we would get our revenge. And then we play. This is basically really weird. We suddenly have this massive blip where we lose our next three games. So Borough one nil away then we get absolutely tonked by uh, Arsenal 3-0 at home no doubt aided and abetted by the fact that this was uh, Paul Parker uh, Paul Parker's last <laughs> appearance for the club so I think I mean I can't remember but you know what I'm just going to say all three goals were down to Paul Parker and let it rest at that and then the Wisey and Hughes were suspended Wisey and Hughes were suspended I knew I knew there was a was a reason for that I knew there was a reason for that um, and then we play Coventry away, and uh, this is this is the subject of many a Chelsea quiz question. And of course, as everybody knows, Martin Wickham is the quiz genius when it comes to Chelsea. So, what was remarkable, remarkable even about this game, Martin? Um, we were wearing Coventry's kit. Ten points for Martin Wickham. That's that's absolutely true. Apparently, there was a, a, a kit clash, uh, and uh, we had to wear Coventry's kind of red and black checkerboard weird away shirts and it clearly it clearly put us off because we got absolutely dubbed uh 3-1 Hughesy actually put us ahead on 43 minutes and then uh, Dublin Williams and Whelan did the damage uh but I have a suspicion that the three match uh blip was really because they were saving themselves for what happens next but before we get to that I'm going to have JK and then Martin um the Coventry shirts if I remember rightly um I think we just went along thinking that we could play in 
or blue because we thought uh, somebody thought, well, Coventry play in sky blue so there won't be a clash. Not having bothered to look that their shirt for the season were actually dark blue and black stripes. <laughs> That's right. So I think that was the reason why they had they were forced to wear um, the Coventry second kit. Uh, yeah. And also um, the third goal was another example of Grodas leaping out of his penalty area and missing the ball completely, like Barota used to do. Mm. What is yeah. it with these foreign keepers, mate, with uh, funny oh, names? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Ma Martin, you wanted to come in. Yeah, so there was an interview with one of the Coventry team, I don't know, a couple of years back, I think it was Richard Shaw, and he tells a story that this clash had happened, there'd been a cock-up, Chelsea expected Coventry to change, and they said, no, we're fucking not doing that, we're wearing our home kit, you do this. It fired Coventry up, which can't have, and the, you know, that plus the fact they were in a, bit of a relegation battle of their own you know it didn't help matters mm. but yeah it, it, when you think about it could you imagine uh, today if a cock up like that had happened there'd be you'd be a meme for months afterwards well I, I mean obviously I remember did, didn't United change their kit at half time when they got absolutely dubbed by Southampton around this time uh, this was, I think, this was the season before because they wore yeah. a grey kit and then changed. They it. changed at half time, didn't they? But then earlier this season, shortly before we beat them at Old Trafford, Man U, they lost six three in the in a completely different kit. So. Yeah, yeah, they were just being shit that day. Marco, did you want to come in, mate? No, no, I, I, I um, I've got nothing to add to the wisdom of my. Presenters this well, well, I bet you will in a minute, mate, because yeah. I suspect that you were very much probably there because we're now uh, talking about the FA Cup semi-final against Wimbledon, which is, again, a, a great, great, great match. Um, just to you remind... Know what, you know what my abiding memory of that this, this, this game is? What was it the actual game itself? I actually thought for one minute... Um, the the, the 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 north stand or the north bank or whatever it was called at the time at, at Highbury was was shaking so much with where Chelsea support was jumping up and down um, when the third goal went in I thought it was going to collapse. The end nearly fell, did it? Huh? Oh, the end. Yeah. The end. The end almost fell. Yeah. Well, it did indeed. Um. I mean, you know, if you haven't seen this match already, then you need shooting. But uh, Mark Hughes puts us 1-0 up on 43 minutes. Franco Zola makes it 2-0 uh, on 64 minutes with an absolutely exquisite goal where he, I don't know who the defender was, but he basically receives the ball, I think, from Di Matteo. And in one movement, him and the ball go one way, Wimbledon defender goes the other. So classically Zola... And then he just puts it right in the inside of the left post. Brilliant goal. And then Hughesy basically makes sure of everything with a 90-minute goal uh, to, to basically send us through 3-0. I mean, one of the things I remember very vividly about this match was that Mark Hughes very famously said that Zola gave Wimbledon twisted blood that day because he just had them tied up in knots and going in all sorts of different directions. But Mark, you have... Uh, you have some rather esoteric memories of this match, don't you? I, I do. There's a few things I remember from that day. I, I remember it's the same day as the London Marathon. Um, so if you if you get fast forward a few years later, so London manages to have an FA Cup semi-final and the London Marathon on the same day. 
when we play Fulham in 2002 on the same day as the London Marathon. And us and Fulham have to relocate to Villa Park because they can't cope with a football match and the London Marathon in London on the same day. But I digress. On that Zola goal, I've watched that goal like many people have many times. And I still don't know how he did it. Yeah. Uh, and I'd love to see if someone's ever practiced it that themselves in a playground on a football pitch and replicated that goal, Phoenix from the Flames. It was just an incredible goal. You know, how he does that movement, you know, and he, the defender goes one way, he goes the other way and slots it. It was an absolutely tremendous goal scored by Zola. But my, my bit, it was, it's, a bit, it's a bit sort of X-Files, because at that time, obviously, X-Files was um, a massive TV programme and we had Fox Mulder, Dan Protesco playing for us at right back. Um, <laughs> we had seats in the upper tier at Arsenal in the North Bank. And you remember Arsenal had the bond then. So anyone that purchased the Arsenal bond um, had their name on their seat. So I was with a guy who came from Crawley called Neil Harris, uh, sitting beside Neil. And rather spookily, in the other seat, the other side of Neil, the seat name was Neil Harris. Spooky. That's Twilight Zone, isn't it? But you get the drift. <laughs> the theme. Yeah. yeah. JK, were you here? I was. I saw all the cup games. I was. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, not unusual for you to be sitting with the home fans. And uh, yeah, but normally that'd be the case, actually. Yeah. But um, I meant it uh, not not in spite. But uh, no, no, no. Frequently, I'd be invited. Somebody'd say, "I've got a spare. Would you? You got to sit yeah. on your hat." Come on, mate. You were taking their end. We all know. Don't be shy. Yeah, yeah it's true. Actually, I, I am secretly a boot boy. Um, uh, no, I just yeah. It was you know the Zola show. I didn't. Um, I thought I thought we were gonna it was gonna be a much closer game because we'd not done well against them, but. Um, he was completely on fire, and Hughes similarly was uh, um, unbelievably positive about it. And we just stopped them from playing. He got it. He, uh, he got it right. Hullet got it right. So, I can't remember what combination of players he played, but they did, they're booting the ball up the pitch and just you know um, being physical didn't work. So. They had they had Gale in the Coco up front, and the, like the first twenty minutes, they tried to do the same as the league game yeah. and try and rough. Um, I think we were very prepared for that, weren't we? Hadn't we been practicing that? Yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah, Erlen Johnson was in the side then. So LeBerth and Erlen Johnson were just superb at the back. And, and Erlen Johnson had been in the side last year and he seemed to play well against Wimbledon, did Erlen. Yeah. Yeah. This is also the first time in recorded history that Effin Effinokoko did not score against uh, Chelsea, as Marco will delight in, no doubt. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Yeah, I, th I think we were just so buzzing to be going back to Wembley, and I think the belief this time around was we were going to win. Yeah. Um, and the atmosphere sort of in the ground that day was extraordinary. Uh, it's just yeah, it's just you know coming out of Highbury, having won three nil, even if it was against Wimbledon, you know back then, um, sort of winning a football game at Highbury was still quite a rare occurrence for for for, for Chelsea. So or in my time of going to Highbury to watch Chelsea, anyway, mm. Mark. The other thing I remember rightly is like um, we came out of Highbury 
and we went to the Firkin pub that used to be near Highbury and Islington Station. Uh, I was drinking, ironically, with Cliff Auger all, that, all those many years ago. And we watched the Chesterfield-Middlesbrough semi-final. And I thought, if I remember right, Chesterfield came really close to putting Middlesbrough out. Did Sean Dyche miss a chance or were they winning? Were they winning 2-0 and Middlesbrough came back? So at one point, we thought we were playing Chesterfield in the final. There was a shot that crossed the line and wasn't given. Yeah, that, that's what I wasn't given. Absolutely right. Well remembered. Exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that too. They were very, very lucky, weren't they, Borough? And uh, I think we would have much preferred Chesterfield in the final because, I mean, even though... I mean, Mark, I made an excellent point, actually, but, you know, and Mark, um, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, big game players is what you need on, on things like semi-finals and finals. And finally, after a long, 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 long time, we really had them. So I, know, I think there was a huge sense of confidence going in to the final. But of course, you know, tempered with the fact that we still hadn't won a trophy for 26 years and an FA Cup for 27 years. So it was a bit of a weird time. Uh, just to whiz through the final league matches, uh, we then go up to Newcastle and get dubbed 3-1, courtesy of Shearer, Asperilla and Shearer. Burley got our goal. It was Craig Forrest's debut. Uh, and he he would do... He, I think he, I'm not sure if he played in the next game, which was against uh, Leicester at home. Uh, he swiftly looks down. He did. He played two games in a row and we won this one. Scored all the goals, mind. Uh, Minto on 13. Sinclair, the uh, obligatory own goal. And then Husey on 73. Uh, it's a very good own goal. It's a very it, good... It was, he kind of, it was almost Zola-esque against Norwich, wasn't it, as I recall? <laughs> I think good is the wrong one. I think intensely embarrassing are the two words I would use. Yeah. No, it was no. good. Jake. Quality <laughs> own goal. Only, only Frank Sinclair could score quality own goals like that, mate. He was a legend yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, and then we play Wimbledon, funnily enough, having just beat them in the semi-final. And we go to uh, Selhurst Park and we win 1-0. Uh, Petrescu on 14. Now, interestingly, that is... Uh, so, Clay, Craig Forrest played against Newcastle, Leicester, uh, but and, and Wimbledon, uh, but that was it. Thank you. Good night. So, like Nick Colgan, he's on his bike as well. So, there we go. That's uh, five goalkeepers we had, Mark. Didn't Danny Granville um, make his debut against Leicester? Because the Hughes goal... No, he's come on before that. I think he might have... Oh. Yeah, he might have come on against Borough. I might come on, but the, the, the Hughes goal, Danny Granville does this brilliant cross from the left and Hughes does his typical far post heading in. Now, I like Danny Granville as a player. I know he didn't play for us a lot, but when he did, I liked him as a left back. Indeed. Now, uh, in amongst all of this chaos, our, our chances of finishing in the top five and getting European football are looking less and less likely after the Wimbledon match where we're still in seventh. Um, although we could still potentially do it, you know, but we'd need to win both of our matches. We then get Leeds at home for our last home match of the season. And uh, lo and behold, it ends up being a nil-nil draw. It's also early Jonsson's final appearance. But the notable thing about this match is that uh, uh, Gianfranco Zola is absent because he's got a slight hamstring injury. So I don't know if any of you lot, JK, Mark, Marco, were you worried that that Franco might miss the final because there was a lot of talk about it, wasn't there, at the time? Anybody remember? Yeah, I remember it being discussed because he wasn't playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was there was the usual uh, immense pessimism. Oh, that'll be it. And then we'll lose to Borough. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So, yeah, there was obviously... Um, um, we were pleased that he wasn't playing if he was injured because it meant he might opportunity to recover. But, you know, hamstring, you never know the hamstring. Oh, no, he won't be playing. Oh, no, we'll have... Forest in goal. Oh no, it'll be the end. We're going to lose three 0 Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, but the, not all of us were like that, were we, Marco? Well, I, I just remember some of the older lot um, drawing parallels with when uh, Hudson yeah. was injured in 1970, and and how they thought we were going to lose to Leeds because we didn't have Hudson in the side. And Ditto, um, you know, with Zola not being in the side. And then I, I sort of pointed out to them that we beat Leeds, even if it was after a replay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Good call. Um, the last match of the season is away to Everton. I put uh, Goodison Park and uh, our form you know, comes back and we uh, we beat them 2-1. Why has he scored a superb goal, Mark? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a good goal. But I think by, by then, I think all, all the focus was on, on Wembley the following week. So I think we had a good chance of getting to Europe. And obviously, we finished the season on a win. But um, we dropped some silly points along the way. And we should have qualified for Europe by league form alone. We should. Um, now, here's the thing. Grodus gets sent off on 21 minutes. Anybody remember why? No, coming, coming out of the penalty area and handling, I think. Was it? I think, well, because he was constantly rushing out of the penalty area, so it wouldn't surprise me. I think so. I don't understand how he then played in the in the cup final if he'd been uh, sent off. Oh, surely that would have applied. Different competition, perhaps? Competition. Uh, yeah. Still, still the FA. Well, Hitchcock comes on for, for Viali, who's uh, back in the side, but we still win 2-1. Um, Di Matteo got our second. Uh, uh, Barmby got theirs and then the moment we've all been waiting for the FA Cup final uh, Chelsea's uh, fifth final I think by that stage Uh, obviously we were there in 94 very recently Um, and where do I start with this I think probably personal kind of pre-match recollections really and I know Mark's got an absolute doozy so we'll kick off with Mark uh, pre-match, um, day before, uh, I was invited by um, Channel 4's Big Breakfast if I could pull some uh, Chelsea fans and a Chelsea great together and they were going to do um, a preview of the cup final. Uh, they asked me of an appropriate venue and I suggested, if people remember this, the Stamford Bridge Cafe on, on the Fulham Road. So the Big Breakfast FA Cup final in Middlesbrough came from the Riverside and ours came from the Stamford Bridge Cafe. And there was a young presenter called Davina McCall uh, who was presenting the show um, live from the Stamford Bridge Caf. Uh, and I have to say, Davina was good fun. Um, she really got into it. So, you know, I think Channel 4 brought some uh, baseball caps down, scarves, flags, Wembley scarves, and they told everyone to come and dress, dress in Chelsea blue. But Davina had her baseball cap on. She wore blue. I think she was wearing a yellow waistcoat that day in blue jeans. And we, we were just chatting to her. Um, and, you know, she basically said she was a Chelsea fan. Yeah, we didn't believe her. You know, and she said, well, I'm, I'm wearing all blue today for a Chelsea win tomorrow. So she said, I've got a baseball cap on. I've got the scarf. I've got the T-shirt. But I've also got blue knickers on. <laughs> and yeah, everyone goes, yeah, yeah, Davido. Yeah, of course you have. Um, yeah, Davina did have blue knickers on, I can say that. <laughs> she doesn't change, does she? <laughs> yeah, there, there, was a, there was a quick flash, uh, yep, I can say off, off camera. Um, but then, obviously, uh, it's, it's out there on YouTube, folks. Um, we had John Hollins there what, as well. What, Davina showing her knickers? No, no, Davina, oh, Davina, Davina from the Stamford Bridge Cafe. Um, she interviews John Hollins, um, 
Uh, she interviews me. And at the start of the season, because I was editing the Chelsea Independent, 442 interviewed me and asked for my season preview. So if you've got the 1996 um, edition of 442 Gianluca Viali on the cover and your season preview, I'm in there. And I predict that Chelsea will finish fifth in the first division and Chelsea will win the FA Cup. So when Davina asked me what the score will be, and it's there on film, I can send the link up afterwards if people haven't seen it. <laughs> I predict a 2-0 win for Chelsea. Yeah. And she asked me what the some unique things about Chelsea. I said we won the FA Cup in 1970. Oh, some f- factual things about Chelsea. I won they won the FA Cup in 1970. They won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1971. And I said that we were 15 minutes from Harrods. Which was very funny, Mark. Very funny. <laughs> And then what, what I also got, um, there's a guy called Steve Lima, um, who, um, and I didn't realise till yesterday, um, he went to school with, I think, the t- same school as Tim Rolls. Uh, he was in the first lineup of the members. Uh, and Steve wrote a tribute song to Matthew Harding called Matthew's Dream. Uh, so we got Steve on the show and I posted it up on Twitter the other day. So Steve did sort of like the um, first verse and chorus. Uh, I'm, I'm there on backing vocals, you know, somewhere there but it was just an absolute great day a lot of celery thrown about and i said full credit to davina mccall she was great fun and really really joined in and was sort of singing the chelsea songs with everyone else and, so, and, and showed you her blue knickers wasn't just me there was a few other people as well, well I she's not shy that's for sure um mark there was another thing as well wasn't there because there was um the other punk rock uh chelsea song that that we talked about gene putney on, on a previous show, as JK remember, um, obviously Chelsea brought out their own single Blue Day. Uh, there was another one, was it Henry Tuttle or something like that? Um, but the Chelsea Punk Rock All Stars brought out, of course, a seven inch blue vinyl single for the FA Cup final. And the lineup of the Chelsea Punk Rock All Stars was Gene Putney on vocals, Esso on loan from Fulham, and The Lurkers on drums. And Paul Fox from The Ruts on bass. Now, if you haven't got this 12-inch single and you, you know, 7-inch single on blue vinyl, either get in touch with Twitter or I can make arrangements for some copies to be down on Marco's stall because Gene Putney in his other alias does come down to Stamford Ridge quite often. So we can make arrangements pick up the single. But I'll give you the first verse and the chorus. 27 years of people taking the piss. Chelsea are useless. Give it a miss. But I kept my faith and I didn't yield to the lean years of Hollins, Hurst and Porterfield. I remember the time Glenn Hoddle arrived with a touch of class to restore our pride. He took us to Wembley in 94. Some of you kids never been there before. Get out your blue flags and your celery. Bollocks the Bates and David Ellery. Even Alan Hansen would have to agree. Chelsea's going to win. At Wembley. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> That's quality. You start to sing that as you went along. I know. I know. <laughs> Get out your blue flags and your celery. <laughs> bollocks to Bates and David Ellery. It's a very good point, actually, about bollocks to Bates. is because Bates was not liked. He still wasn't liked by the fans. There was still this residue of Harding being yeah. the man. They wanted I mean, to be 
doubled to run the club for the future. And he doubled and down on it in late in October after <coughs> the anniversary of Matthew Harding's death. I seem to recall. Said yeah. some fairly awful things. Awful on the things. Absolutely. Yeah, and he was his own worst enemy, wasn't he? Now, um, as you probably, in fact, I, I suspect there are people yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest who probably know this. But there was another. Uh, what had become sadly, well, not sadly, because it's a great song, but personally, as a as a as a child of punk, I'd have loved the Gene Putney song to have become more popular than it did. But there's an incredibly popular song, a cup final song, because of course, as you know, Chelsea specialises in cup final songs, even if we didn't get to many. Uh, and of course, it was we're gonna make it a blue day, and it features a certain. Did you know I'm singing on? No, were you on it? Were you on it? Yeah. No, yeah. I had no idea. Not many people know that. God, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So come on, tell us all about it. Well, Mike Canaris, I'd done the um, Honey Nut Loops ads with Mike Canaris, and uh, I bought him a season ticket, and um, uh, because uh, as a reward, because uh, uh, I did ten commercials and they paid quite nicely. So I said, I'll buy you a season ticket. And he went, nah, come on. And I, in the end, I didn't really buy him a season ticket. I bought him tickets and we'd try and sit together and we'd go away together and whatever. And uh, and he actually he said to me, um, uh, come along and sing on. He knew I was in a band at the time. I'd been doing other stuff. He said, I need four people to come and sing all the choruses the day before we do the recording with, with, the, with the football players because the footballers probably won't be able to sing it very well. I just want it to be, we'll double and triple track it. So the day before we went to his studio in Soho and we just all of us sang, all four of us, and we double tracked it and triple tracked it and quadruple tracked it. You know, Chelsea, Chelsea, we're going to make it a blue day, Chelsea, Chelsea. And then it was because he'd already recorded it with Suggs. So uh, um, and we mixed it. And the keyboard player was my mate who I'd written a show with. And we'd written various songs together. and We were pitching songs to um, uh, to record companies. So uh, uh, it, it, we were all mates, basically. And he got me in to sing that. So uh, it was um, it was great fun. And it's uh, I can actually hear myself in a couple of the little choruses because my voice is occasionally slightly like that. Won't make it a blue day. No, it's not really true. It's not true. But um, uh, but yes. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, yeah, that's me singing on it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's really funny actually because on the season review, bless their hearts, they have the entire video of Blue Day on it, and I don't think I'd, I'd actually. Oh, I couldn't remember this, but there's this hilarious bit at the end when all the players come up individually and go, "It's gonna be blue," don't they? And to various degrees of uh, competency, Success. yeah. Yes. You know, which I thought was really, really funny. So there you go, Mark. There was another. I mean, you actually got to hear. Um, an early mix of this, didn't you? We, we got to hear the demo. Uh, uh, and again, I have to thank um, DJ for this. DJ was very good in the days of Chelsea of getting interviews with various people. And Barbara Sharon, and I still think she's got a season ticket in the East. She does have. She does yeah. have, yeah. Love, lovely, lovely yeah, person, never, Barbara. Yeah. So yeah. Barbara at that time was director of press at WEA Records that actually released Blue Day. And Barbara also was a journalist for Sounds magazine. She wrote Keith Richards' early biography. So we did an interview with Barbara. And at that time, WEA Records, as well as having sort of Suggs and Chelsea, uh, they had Rod Stewart, Madonna, REM. Um, so really great interview. And she plays us the really early demo of Blue Day and says, well, this we plan to be the cup final record. David Lee and Jakob Kielberg are the sort of players representatives, so they're doing all the negotiating, and they quite like it. I think Kielberg plays a bit of piano on it as well. So it was a really good afternoon with Barbara. And I think WA's records at that time, their office was on Kensington High Street. 
And then Barbara says to us at the end of the interview, oh, would you like to go down to the basement and sort of choose any CDs? That, they're completely complimentary. So DJ and I go down to the basement and he was better prepared than I. And if you can imagine sort of like WA Records basement, it's probably similar to HMV, R Price, Virgin Records. And it's just row upon row, rack upon rack of CDs. And I'm wandering around in the basement trying to find, oh, where's that REM album I don't have? <laughs> and she was that one. I'm, you know, I'm never that fan of Madonna. Oh, I like a bit of Rod Stewart. Like, yeah. You know. Oh, Wilco, yes. I wonder what Wilco would be like. At the other end, DJ has got, I'd probably describe it as a bag you would put your cricket kit in. You know, <laughs> and he just slides all of the CDs, one, one rack, just into the bag, you know. And I thought, I really am not prepared for these sorts of things. <laughs> so I probably walked out with about four CDs, and he probably walked out with about 400. <laughs> oh, quality, absolutely quality. Uh, right, we should uh, talk about the game, really. We've had the build-up. Now, we haven't heard from him for a while, so I'll just uh, ask him to unmute. Uh, because... By the way, I-, I asked one of the violinists out. Did you? And guess what? They said no, said right? No. She said no. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I love your approach to, to women, mate. It's like a percentage game. You ask enough of them, one's going to say yes, right? No, that no. doesn't work Doesn't work like oh, that. No, because I was hoping next week you'll say, well, I did ask this bird who, who was quite famous, and she actually said yes. No. no. All right. Never mind. Uh, right. Marco, uh, I mean, I, I didn't know you then, which, as I said earlier on, was a great sadness to me, but I've known you for quite a lot of uh, our recent FA Cup vinyl visits, and they're still special, and you usually mark it by hiring a double-decker bus. But what was your uh, pre-match for this one like? Well, it was in the days before the, the double-decker bus for, for us. We, we actually um, met up in the, um, in the cafe. There used to be a cafe to the, to the right as you stand of it in front of um, Fulham Broadway Station, if I remember rightly. Um, there was a cafe there. Uh, and that's where we met very early in the morning, very, very early in the morning. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, given given that the last, I mean, you know, couple of years or three years beforehand, we'd been, we'd been there to see Man United absolutely dub us and it pissed down with rain. It was a rather salutary and miserable experience. I get the impression that there was um, a huge amount of optimism and a feeling we've got this we're not going to lose this and there i mean the scenes that i saw on the on the on the review were very joyous before the match was it was it quite a confident air oh yeah no absolutely i mean um yeah every every sort of generation from kind of the the old the, the older lot who were i don't know probably i think what was i'd have been in my mid 30s then um, so the, the, the people who'd sort of experienced the 1970 cup final, I mean, obviously I went to the 94 final and we got hammered and it was horrible. Um, but, you know, as I said earlier, I think, I think there was momentum building throughout the season. Um, and then there was, you know, this huge, we've got to win it for, for Matthew kind of thing as well. And it just felt like all the stars were aligning. And I, I, and I don't think, you know, there's there's probably an element today of, um, well, we've just got, you know, kind of like when we played Leicester this season or last season in the FA Cup final. And you sort of think, yeah, we're going to win this. And we didn't. Um, but there was a genuine belief amongst everybody that, 
you know, this was our time. We were going to do it, and, and Middlesbrough were not going to stop us. Um, and everybody was just intent on having a, a really good day out. Um, so it was one big, long party for me. Jolly good. I'm sure it was the same for, for everybody, but I think we should get into the match. And of course, you know, for people like me who liked, I mean, I, I, I should confess, I couldn't get a ticket. Actually, that's that's not why I didn't go. The re- real reason I didn't go was I was such a, a pessimist. I didn't think Chelsea would get into a, I thought it would be another 20 year wait before we got to another FA Cup final. So I stupidly booked a holiday in the Caribbean. Uh, and uh, then realised the errors of my ways when Chelsea managed to get into another bloody FA Cup final. So thankfully in the Caribbean, I was able to enforce a complete total media blackout. And I set the VCR, because that's what we had in those days before I went. And I remember thinking all the way through the whole day, I hope that bloody VCR is recorded. I hope it's bloody recorded. Anyway, I got home at some stupid o'clock time in the morning, got home, uh, cab from the airport or whatever, and uh, literally ran in to the living room, dropped my bags where they were with my dear lady wife trailing behind, plonked my ass on the sofa and uh, pressed play on the old VHS. And uh, I mean, let's put it this way. It was so wonderful. I then rewound it at the end and watched it all again uh, because, of course, of course, we won, didn't we? And um, Mark, uh I mean, one, well, two words, Di Matteo, 43 seconds. Remarkable, just be- barely got into our seats. Yeah, literally got into our seats, sat down, bang, goal, 43 seconds. What a start. And, you know, that's probably the best thing that possibly happened because we were odds on favourites. And even though I am an eternal optimist, I am surrounded by a lot of people who think, oh, we're going to blow it, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. So the fact we scored in the first minute just calmed everybody down. Yeah, and like really great atmosphere. You know, the noise of the Chelsea fans. It wasn't, I have to say, a great cup final. You know, there was a, there was a bit of a lull. They lost Ravinelli early on. I think they had a goal disallowed, but I think it was we were just waiting for that second goal to go in because Burrow didn't look like scoring. And once Eddie Newton gets a second goal, it just turns the last ten minutes of the game just turns into one massive party. Uh, and then obviously, you know, the party then continues long after the sort of ninety minutes because. A lot of people there and never actually seen, you know, Chelsea win a you know a trophy like the FA Cup because many of them were just too young for Wembley or too young for Athens. So it was a really big deal for a lot of fans. This was the first proper trophy, you know, they'd seen Chelsea win. Yes, second division championship, full members cup, but this was a, the real deal. The FA Cup was massive back then. It really was a big thing win, winning that trophy, and you know, even now, sort of like, was it? Yeah. 24, 24 years, it'll be 20, it's the 25th year anniversary next year. Absolutely tremendous, you know, watching it back and watching that season back and finishing with that FA Cup and seeing the celebrations afterwards. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. The, the only thing I'd sort of add was like, we could talk about the celebration a bit. Look, I actually went back to um, a pub after the game called the Harwood Arms to celebrate because that was our, our drinker back then. And there's a guy that ran the Harwood, bless him, called Fat Pat. Um, <laughs> it's a skinny bloke, basically. Um, <laughs> now, you know, um, clearly, you know, Fulham was alive that night. People sort of celebrating Chelsea's victory because, again, the community comes out, everyone comes out, um, and Pat's on the door, and he's allo- only allowing in regulars that have been drinking in the pub, you know, through the years. And by then, um, and we mentioned this the other week when we had the drink up, 
Fulham was then becoming sort of like South Chelsea or Little Chelsea, whatever you want to call it, because Chelsea had just got too expensive and the gentrification of Fulham was happening. So, like, you know, sort of like Jeremy and sort of Penelope come out and want to come along and celebrate with the Chelsea fans. Uh, <laughs> and Pat's at the door of the pub. And his, his exact words to you can fuck off. You, know, <laughs> you don't drink in my pub 364 days of the year. You are not drinking in my pub tonight. My, my friends and Chelsea fans only. The irony now, 24 years on, is probably Jeremy and, and Penelope are drinking in there a lot more frequently because the Harwood now has got a Michelin star. Mm. <laughs> and I went in there a few years ago on the Champions League night, and they certainly didn't want me in there. <laughs> very, very sad. Um, JK, your your memories of the day and the match? Oh, uh, I, I, uh, when the ball went in, I was convinced he hadn't scored. I said, has it gone in? Is it in? What? How's it go? I don't know what was happening in my head. I thought I can't believe. Because you're such an optimist, obviously. Uh, mate. Well, clearly it must be that. It must be that. Uh, they can't. Is it? Uh, no. Uh, what happened? Is it? Oh, is it? Has it gone over? Oh no, it's in the net, Jonathan. Oh, oh, fuck. Oh god. And then I was in a bit of a daze for the rest of the game, and um, obviously wanting another goal to go in. Was very pleased when Ravanelli. He left the pitch. Didn't he? Didn't he leave? Wasn't he? Wasn't yeah. he? Injured, yeah, he went off for about twenty odd minutes. Yeah. yeah that's right. That's right. And um, uh, and um, what's his face? Uh, uh, the the little Brazilian was obviously the scary one, but he seemed to be uh, seemed he didn't seem to be on his game particularly. So I was a bit sort of um, just hoping for the final whistle. I wanted the final whistle to blow after forty four seconds. Actually. <laughs> uh, um, I just wanted the game to end. You know, <laughs> sorry, that's what's got up. And it was you know it was such a it was such an exorcism for me. It was you know going to watch the 67 cup final when I was 13 and, uh, uh, and having, um, uh, and us having lost and then l losing again in 94, not having won anything for 27 years. It was, uh, the impact was, was the following day the impact was enormous on me. But at the time I was just obviously ecstatic, but, um, just wanted to get home and, uh, uh and meet them, met some friends later on. But I just, I just, it was the, it was a huge emotional impact for me then winning. I, I can't tell you, having having supported them since I was little with my dad as well. It was just, um, it was, uh, it was, it was wonderful. Brilliant. What about you, Martin? The celebration, the celebration, Sorry, Mark. Go on. The celebration cheered by the players afterwards. Yeah. I can't remember how many laps of honour they did. That must be the longest. But ever. they were all holding hands, weren't they, and running towards your end and then diving full length, weren't they? They did all that stuff. Yeah, it's right. yeah it was yeah. brilliant. But I mean. You know, I think we, we the celebrations lasted for about forty five minutes. Apparently, Mark, Martin, what's your memories of the day? Um, well, Middle, well, Middlesbrough had just been relegated and just lost the League Cup final, so they got the, probably got the, the shittiest hat trick of all time. Fully and deserved, I, Martin, considering oh, yeah, what they did to us a few years before. Fuck them. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I didn't really have too much fear about the game, and then of course I'm even though I'm indoors. I've gone out to get a drink, come back, and I've just about caught the fucking ball going in. So I nearly missed the first goal because it was it happened so quickly. I just really caught the arc of the ball and Ben Roberts flailing like an idiot trying to get near it. And then it just, I mean, it didn't, after that, I don't think there was, it looked that much in doubt. Ravenelli wasn't fully fit. He was rushed back. Um, I've heard a couple of Middlesbrough fans saying if Mikel Beck had played from the start and someone else had played him, they may have fared better. Apparently, they'd had massive punch-ups within their squad beforehand as well. 
So mm. it was a bit of a shit show. Another thing I noticed, and this happened in the lockdown last year, so there's no football on the anniversary of the cup final, and they showed it, I think it was on, must have been on the fifth stand or something like that. Now, I know in the 90s there was a tendency for baggy fashion, but Janino's shirt took the piss. I mean, you see today the, the player shirts fit. He's wearing a shirt that would look baggy on me, and I'm a big fat bastard. <laughs> He's a little midget, and the reason he, if he had any issues running that day, it's because he was getting drag reduction. Couldn't, he was getting the wind was pulling, he was generating his own bloody drag reduction. It was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And Nigel Pearson was the Middlesbrough captain, and looks as he basically looks exactly like he does now, which is uncanny and slightly frightening. But it is mm. Nigel Pearson. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Marco, final final word on the uh, final to you. You'll need to unmute yourself because I've there you go. Um, I've just got I've got this little clip from uh, from my Blue Murder book <laughs> describing the opening goal, which has got quite an amusing little line in it. It's just a, it's a Matthew Hardin's Blue White Army, Matthew Hardin's Blue White Army. The Chelsea fans chant reached an almighty crescendo as the referee whistled to signal the start of the game. Go on, Wisey, get in there, son. Nice one, said Eggie Barnes, rocking back on his heels and clapping as the Chelsea skipper dispossessed Robbie Musto and passed the ball to Roberto Di Matteo. Go on, Robbie, encouraged Nipper, an unlit cigarette dangling patiently from the corner of his mouth as the Italy midfielder began an unchallenged run from the Chelsea half. Go on, son. Go on, Robbie. Shoot, you cunt. Collect in the air as Di Matteo rifled his shot from almost 30 yards out. The ball sailed over Borough's hapless keeper, Ben Roberts, and crashed off the underside of the bar into the back of the net. Goal! Yes! The blue half of the stadium was ecstatic. The goal was timed at 42 seconds, making it the fastest scored in the FA Cup final this century. One Di Matteo, there's only one Di Matteo. One Di Matteo, there's only one Di Matteo. Nipper finally lit the cigarette and clenched his fist. Come on, the Chelsea. Brilliant. Absolutely. One of the things about that goal that I, I've always loved was the fact that that goes unnoticed, really. But Mark Hughes sees Robbie coming and he and he pushes the def- Middlesbrough defender out of the way so that Robbie has a clean line of sight for his shot. And I've always wondered if, if that helped. But there you go, Mark. Well, one thing I forgot, um, it was, it, like the day after as well, the cup, the cup final, obviously, when, once I'd finished drinking in the Harwood, we went for a drink in the Imperial to toast Matthew. And like the streets of Fulham, the roads were blocked, buses, etc. And I don't think some people ever went home because the party continued to the next day and the, the players' celebration was at the Waldorf Hotel and the bus comes down the road. And I'd blagged because um, I kept in contact because the civic reception was at Fulham Town Hall. Uh, and I, I, used, I used to work for the local council. I kept in contact with the guy who was in the press office. So I, I blagged the free pass um, into the town hall and the celebrations. Um, so... When the bus comes down, I'm on the town hall side of the road where Marco's stall is now. That's literally where I was. So you go in, free drink, free food, all the players there, lots of photos taken with the FA Cup. But the unique thing um, was the players were flying out to Hong Kong for an end of season sort of tournament. So the players had the photos, you know, did a load of autographs, had their lunch and disappeared. Uh, And we're still there drinking the free drink and the FA Cup is there. 
Um, and normally, if you go back to 1970, there's photos of the Chelsea side out on the balcony of Fulham Town Hall with the FA Cup, you know, and all the fans are outside. Um, so we were sort of saying, well, the, the players never took the cup out, outside. So we had this plan that we were going to borrow the FA Cup and put bring it out onto the balcony. And we we're trying to persuade the stewards because they let us have our photos taken. So can we just borrow it for a couple of minutes? So we, we actually went out onto the balcony. So we opened the balcony door and we said, I wonder if anyone's still there. You know, because this is a couple of hours after the players arrived on the um, double decker bus. And there's still thousands out there. I think they were waiting for the chance. They hoped the players might come out. They didn't realise the players were already on um, a coach going to sort of Heathrow Airport. So when me and this guy called Martin Boyle, um, who's a big friend of John Druitt's, you know, sits in the Matthew Harding upper, when we open the shutters to go out on the balcony, there's a big cheer that goes up because they clearly thought we were somewhere we were not. Then they realise we're not the players, we're not the youth team. <laughs> and this chant comes up from the crowd. Oh, the fucking hell are you? <laughs> So we go back inside and there's only two players that haven't flown to Hong Kong, which is Dimitri Karin and Steve Clark. And we're having a beer with Steve Clark. And we said to Steve Clark, guys, this fan's still out there. You've got to go out. It's, I know a lot of people have gone to the pub to carry on. So there's a few thousand fans that have stayed here several hours, hoping to see a glimpse of the FA Cup with the players. So to, to their credit, Clarkie and Karin go out onto the balcony with the FA Cup. So if you stayed several hours after the civic reception, you know, brilliant, absolutely. That's what happened. Can I just say what I did at the, uh, uh, when the, the bus came round? Is that okay? I, I um, um, when the bus came over the cup, I saw them with the cup, and I went and hid behind a hedge. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I cried for ten minutes. Ah, <laughs> oh. you absolute sweetheart. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Well, un uh, hardly surprising. I mean, it, it. I mean, you know, when I tell you that I, I've got good mates. I mean, Mark and Marco certainly know Smithy, uh, but Smithy and Psycho Phil and all of that mob who I, I I first got to know when I kind of came back to Chelsea. Um, they would get together on the anniversary of us winning the cup in seventy, and have a have a heavy night drinking, listening, listening, not watching, listening to the BBC long playing record of the commentary of the nineteen seventy final. Every year they did that. So bereft of any fucking glory had Chelsea had. So yes. you, you might think it's trifling now, but trust me, people, 1997 and us winning our first FA Cup for 27 years and our first trophy for 26 was just huge. Mm. And more important, it laid down the marker. It, a bit like when Mourinho came along and we, we won the Carling Cup and then the, the Premier League for the first time. It got us over the line. The, the hoodoo was broken. We'd finally won a bloody meaningful trophy. And you'll find out in the next few uh, episodes in this series, series just quite how important 1997 was. But to, to wrap things up, I mean, obviously we won the FA Cup, uh, but we finished sixth, which, you know, may have been a bit tad disappointing had we not won the FA Cup. But actually, it was our highest finish since our fifth place in 1990, so it wasn't to be shirked at. Um, you know, Hullet obviously was our first overseas and first black coach and the first overseas and black coach to win an FA Cup final. But he got us really well organised and all the players seemed to be really kind of, they knew what their role was, we passed fluently. There was quite often some inspired tactical switches by uh, Hullet and some real 
moments of genius applied by certainly, uh, mostly by Gianfranco Zola, but also Viali and Di Matteo. So it was a really, really good season, I think. I mean, the player of the year was Mark Hughes. He was our top scorer of the 14 and, and our highest appearance maker with Robbie Di Matteo on 44. Interestingly and brilliantly, Gianfranco Zola became Chelsea's first ever Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year. And if you consider that he only joined us, you know, in autumn and really basically played half a season, just makes you realise what an impact he had and what a remarkable achievement that was. But, you know, my 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 opinion is that, you know, the impact that Viali, De Matteo, Zola and Leboeuf had really, I think, set the wheels in motion for what was to come. And I think I think that this was the real turning point for Chelsea to become the modern Chelsea that we know today. So there you go. Couple of th- I mean by all means comment on that boys, but a couple of things I just wanna wanna pick up on really, you know, was I think to to revisit the Hughes Viali issue that really kind of came in after Franco joined. And you know, we all I mean we've alluded to it during the show that there was clearly stuff going on. Um and it just makes me wonder now with with 24 years of hindsight is you know how why 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 Rudy couldn't find a way to play all three of those players i mean i know it did happen but you know more regularly i mean you could have had Hughes and Viali as a two up front with Zola in the hole behind and i'm surprised that didn't happen more often who would like to answer that one for me don't all rush at once well i'll pick on somebody then mark you opened your mouth <laughs> It's a good question. Yeah, um, there were times when they played together, and I think when they did play together, it, it didn't always work. And uh, Hullet seemed to favour a four-four-two formation. Um, um, you, you got a feel for Viali because up until Zola arrived, yeah, you know, he was having a great season. Yeah, you know, there was an occasional day where he, he'd have to sort of have three or four goals to score one. But some of the goals he got that season, and there was so much love for Viali amongst the Chelsea fans, and there was a remarkable bit. You know, during the cup final, and he, he actually does it in the end of season video, where he says Chelsea will win the game, and then I'll you know I'll come on for Franco or Husey, and he actually does come on for the last couple of minutes of the cup final, and the tremendous reception he gets from all those Chelsea fans there. Viali came to Chelsea wanting to be a legend, and he certainly left as a legend. Uh, when you're a football manager, you got to make difficult decisions. So Hughes, um, Hullet went with Hughes and Zola. And to be honest, Zola ended up player of the year, um, football writers, you know, player of the year, and Hughes was Chelsea's player of the year. So, you know, feel for Viali, but, you know, I think Hullet didn't make, didn't do a bad job. Mm, that's a very, very, very fair point. Um, Marco, how, I mean, how would you, I mean, you know, it's hard to like look beyond the FA Cup final, really, to sum up this season. But I, I, I said at the, uh, you know, the beginning of the show, it was, Arguably one of the most emotional roller coasters we've ever had as a club that year. You know, the emotion of winning the cup final, obviously. Uh, having these superb players turn up who who all found their way into our hearts, you know, even 25 years later. And, of course, Matthew dying in the uh, the helicopter crash. It was some season, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, sort of looking back now over quite what is quite a period of time, well, a quarter of a century... I think you, you can look at that 12-month period, you know, um, from summer to summer as perhaps, I don't know, one of the most pivotal seasons in, in, in the club's history, just in terms of 
so many things happening. Um, you, you know, Hulley, uh bringing in the players that he did. Um, Matthew, the, the, you know, that accident, that happening. Um, and, you know, every, all the ramifications of that, the ramifications of the way the team developed over the season, winning the FA Cup, so playing in the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, final and then winning that, you know, there, there, there are probably, I don't know, if, if you had to name five pivotal seasons in the club's history, the the 96-97 one would, for me, definitely be in there, mm. maybe, maybe in the top three. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Uh, Martin, you know, the view from the Ute, as it were. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, I know you were, you were massively into it, and everything. But I suppose with a bit of hindsight as well. I mean, how? I mean, you know, you, you, you can hear us all getting kind of misty-eyed about it. But you know, can you bring a bit of cold logic in there for us? I can try to, but it mostly be nonsense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think everything we've experienced up to the present day has its roots in this season. It was a vindication of the strategy that had started a couple of seasons before. It was continued on until up until about the early 2000s, where it almost went pop. Roman comes in, saves the day in that sense. But Chelsea became established comfortably as a top six club in this season. And everything that happened after that, seasons in Europe, attracting other players. I mean, seems to be a glut of left-backs we're signing in this season. Graham Lasso came the following summer. So... Yeah, I, I think getting winning that trophy, proving that what they were doing, because it was different to what a lot of the other clubs were doing, that it works. Does this remind you of anything current? <laughs> um, I, th I think it's it was vindication. Mm. Wise words from Martin. Final sum up from uh, Mr. Kidd. Um, well, it, it was for me, it was, you know, it was. It, it, it was the beginning of an era. It was it was we'd won something, and uh, I could banish all the demons I'd had before since the since the seventies, and um, I just presumed that they would get better and better, which they did. I uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a potentially a golden era, and I have to say that the team they assembled after that um, that got into the uh, um, the Euro the Champions League was. Uh, was the, uh, the the everything had been laid down in in this period? It was um, it was the progression. It was the perfect progression, and it just got better and better and better. So uh, for me, this is the founding moment of what we have now. Yeah, and uh, and it was um, it was completely brilliant. I think it's interesting, isn't it? We're all very much in agreement with all of that about how pivotal this season was, and it certainly was. And uh, next time we do our 50 years of Chelsea, it's going to get even more pivotal. Or well, not more pivotal, but uh, it's going to get even more exciting with more silverware on the horizon. But you're going to have to wait for that one uh, because uh, we're going to go now. But uh, just a quick reminder uh, before we do go that uh, we do have a Patreon thingy Bob what's it. Um, uh, and it does help me to uh, kind of afford to do all these shows, etc, etc, etc. I mean, there's no pressure. Absolutely none. I mean, you know, we'll always have the content for free. You can guarantee that. But if you just want to help out, uh, kind of in lieu of buying us a beer at the cock or whatever, then you can. Um, 
you know, no matter how little or great it is, it's always appreciated. Patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. And as I said, you know, you get to be in our Discord group, which is hilarious on a match day. It gets quite frenetic and it's a lot nicer than Twitter, I can assure you. There aren't as many idiots. In fact, there are no idiots because you're all Chelsea Fancast fans. So there we go. And of course, you do get a mini Kerry Dixon banner, a replica of the one that's hanging up in the Matthew Harding end so there we go anyway thank you for staying with us uh, tonight it's been great great fun as always uh, a mighty thank you to the lovely martin wickham who uh, i think you've you've represented the ute exceptionally tonight martin thank you very much it's great, it great to listen to you really so um give my voice a rest as well which go. is quite nice well we'll see you back in about 10 years when you've grown up <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so what one yeah the thing is once you do that i'll have started going to the pub and then my memory's <laughs> So, well, that's why do you know. think I have Mark on the show? Because I can't remember any of this because I was always so pissed. But uh, I, I, feel, I mean, that, and that applies to the modern period, too, when I was actually going hugely regular. I can't remember anything at all from the football. It's terrible. But there you go. Martin, always a delight to see you, mate. And uh, we'll see, while I look forward to seeing you when we go back to the football in a couple of weeks, that's for damn sure. Uh, Mr. Worrell, always an absolute delight to have your wonderful uh slightly you know tangential views on on the stuff and the lovely rich context and background that you put it in it's been a real privilege having you on tonight mate well thank you very much sir really enjoyed it um some fantastic uh, memories and uh what a great year it was yeah, it was wasn't it absolutely fantastico it really is hope to see you very soon uh which no doubt we will a couple of weeks football's back can't wait uh Mark Meehan, you're an absolute legend, mate. I mean, you know, where would we be without your, you know, tales tales of the unexpected? Oh, you're probably in your bed by now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Uh, <laughs> I, I a great, great show tonight. We're getting as long as a Bruce Springsteen concert now. Yeah, yeah. Re- re- really enjoyable show tonight. Looking back on an historic and a memorable and remarkable season. That, as the guys have said... This really sort of like takes Chelsea forward from yeah here, here on in. Yeah, I mean I have to say, Mark, and thank you for this. Is that you've turned a, a you know a one and a half hour show into a two part show uh, over the last few weeks? So I have if to you like, like Guns and Roses bringing out one album and decided yeah. to bring out two albums at the I, same I'm time. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down a challenge to you. I, I I you know what I fully expect from you going forward is your Sandinista moment. <laughs> no, actually, to me, this is this is the ten years after album called Undead, and the the sixth side <laughs> is Rick Lee's drum solo. It's twenty minutes long. That's well, what that is. I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> what. In in the spirit of Sandinista, when we next do a show, I'll reissue the final part as a remixed dub version going backwards <laughs> and see if you can make any sense of that. But no, you've been brilliant tonight, Mark, as you always are. It's, it's, you've really enriched these shows for everybody who listens. It's been absolutely fantastic. And we love you for it. And finally, 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 the uh, lovely Mr. Jonathan Kidd, who's, who, who loves these shows because his memories get rekindled, don't they, JK? I'm now, however, completely wrecked. I know. I'm, I'm eviscerated by the memory of hiding behind the hedge and crying. <laughs> I can't tell you how completely awful it was. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Thought, well, there they are with the cup. Oh, God. <laughs> Kid, I just had an idea. If we do the 97.8 to the, the Sandinista theme, if we get two more of the fan cast on, it will be the Magnificent Seven. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm up for that. Hitsville, yeah. UK. Watch Hitsville, out. UK. 
What's... And no police on our backs either. No police yeah. on our backs, no. Uh, and yeah, I'm just trying to think of another one. Uh, I can't. So there we go. Maybe there, hopefully there'll be no Washington bullets flying around. Let's leave it at that. Uh, all right, we got to go to bed because it's like ridiculously late, but it's been great fun. It will be a two-part as you've obviously figured out by now. We will be back again uh, for 97, 98 sometime, probably during the international break. And uh, we'll be back with the normal stuff. Our first show of the season will be uh, live on Friday the 13th. Woo! Which will be previewing the Palace game, the first match of the season, and our, and our, well, my return to football. I know a lot of others have been back, but I can't wait for that. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you, all of you lot, for being bloody marvellous tonight. Uh, and we'll see you very soon. Uh, until then, up, up the, the shelf! shelf! Hey! Hey!